Welcome to His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. We're glad you've chosen to join us today. Our passion at His Life Ministries is to help believers know Him and show Him. So we keep it simple. It's just about Jesus. Our prayer is that the Holy Spirit will make His truth plain to you so you can walk in freedom and enjoy the life of union that God has designed for you to live. And now, here's Pastor Todd. We are returning to 2 Corinthians. You know, of all the uh, apostles, Paul is the most fascinating to me. He lived a life that was really otherworldly. It defied logic, and we would hardly call it normal. Yet, it was closer to the way Jesus lived when he was on this earth than probably any other biblical character When we look at his life, we see a life filled with injustice and pain, rejection and ridicule, suffering, all manner of things that we wouldn't invite. We also see a life that was anointed and intended with spiritual power, a life determined to minister Christ's life, to know him and to commune with him. It was Paul's desire to acquaint every Christian with what it means to live from the life of Christ, to know Christ intimately, to acquaint every Christian on what it means to be a new creation. That was his desire. And Paul would tell you that uh, his life as a child of God was completely normal, that the supernatural is natural for the new creation. It's not unnatural. That the intimate, ongoing relationship with Christ is what literally what we're born to. We're going to begin in chapter 5, and it's uh, my hope to make it to verse 9, but I'm not in charge, nor do I want to be. Last time we looked at Corinthians, we uh, finished up chapter 4, and in chapter 4, Paul had been writing about constantly living under the threat of death. And Paul faced the threat of death just about every moment of his ministerial life. There was something coming against him. He writes in chapter 4, verse 11, he writes, For we who live are constantly experiencing being handed over to death for Jesus' sake, that the resurrection life of Jesus may be evidenced through our flesh, which is liable to death. The threat of death was Paul's constant companion. As I said before, we would hardly call that normal, a normal way to live. In fact, we would want to rescue Paul from that kind of life. But uh, that was Paul's way. The reason we would have a problem is because of our perspective. From our perspective, death is an enemy. We don't even want to hear his name, much less have an acquaintance with him in our daily living. But I can tell you that for Paul, death was no threat. He didn't see it as a threat because all death could do would be change Paul's address. That's really all it could do. It could not take his life. The only death the Christian can know is the death of this body. And for us, it's really just an eviction from a temporary residence. That's really all it is. And Paul refuses to let suffering and the threat of death define him. He's fixated on the will of God. And the eternal purpose. He calls his hardships and his sufferings light and momentary afflictions. Paul says they're hardly worth considering in light of the glory to come. 
they're not even worth getting bothered over. Paul then calls us to see life as spiritual beings, which we are. As Christians, we are spiritual beings. We are spirits with a body, right? Not bodies with a spirit. And Paul calls us to see life that way as new creations. In his writing, he tells us how he sees life. And that's what I love about the Corinthian letters is that you get to see a little crack, an insight into the person of Paul and the perspective of Paul. How Paul viewed life because he's a bit of an enigma. He's, you look at his life and you think, man, I don't want any of that. That guy just lived all through all kinds of suffering. But when you recognize the way Paul looked at life, you see the purpose in it. You see the thrill of life for Paul. So Paul refused to let these things define him. He's writing and telling us how he sees life, how he faces the threat of death. And this is not him revealing the exalted view of an apostle or super saint. This is moving the child of God from a carnal perspective, death as an enemy, to a spiritual reality. He's telling us how we should view life and why he lives the way he lives, what motivates and moves him forward in the midst of trials and hardship. You know, Paul considers life really a spiritual journey. He writes in chapter 4, verse 18, he says, Since we consider and look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are visible and temporal, brief and fleeting, but the things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. The things that are invisible are deathless and everlasting. Paul says, we determine not to define life by the things we can see. Man, that's a tough one, isn't it? We determine to define life by the invisible and the eternal. This is the way Paul has determined to view his life. It's a choice that he made. It's not a delusion he's under. It's not a, just a philosophical perspective. It is the Christian reality and really should be the mature Christian's view of this life. Just think of how much fear and rejection might be dismissed. Think about how impossible it would be to play a victim of circumstance or of the abuses of others with an eternal view. Think about how much liberty there is in seeing life through Paul's eyes or as God intended through eyes of faith. Let's look at uh, verse 1 of chapter 5. Paul writes, For we know that if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, dissolved, we have from God a building, a house, not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. Now, as Paul has just explained how he views this temporal life and what he determines to consider and value in this life, he now gives you some reasons for why he thinks the way he does. He starts with verse 1. He says, for we know. Now, this is in light of verse 18 of chapter 4 that we just looked at. He says, for we know, and the we here is really every believer. For we, every believer, we all know what we are assured of. That if the tent, which is our earthly home, is destroyed, dissolved, is what the Amplified writes out there. The tent is a reference to the human body. The earth suit that you're wearing right now, that's what he's talking about. It is referred to a tent as a tent because it's a temporary shelter. That's what it is. It was never designed to be a permanent residence. 
It is quickly set up and just as quickly taken down. It's fragile and cannot endure the harsh environment for very long. It doesn't weather well. It deteriorates with time. You can patch it. You can uh, dress it up and decorate it. But its beauty and strength are as temporary as the structure itself. And all of us know this is true. Even the godless. I don't know that Hollywood's found out yet. But it's true. It's temporary. It's a delusion to live as though the body is permanent and it's dangerous. Now, Paul calls the body our earthly home. This means that this, that this body is where we are staying while here on earth, okay? When we travel, we stay in a lot of different places, right? It doesn't mean that we are permanent residents, does it? It means that this is where we are living temporarily, That's what Paul's referring to. Paul writes that if these tents are destroyed, he writes if because there is another option. And we'll talk about that. Paul is obviously referencing the death of the body. What is interesting is that the original language, the wording here, describes literally a taking apart of the body. Now that makes perfect sense because what happens in the death of the body is that the temporal is literally separated from the eternal. In essence, we leave the earth suit, right? And Paul tells us that God has a building for us, that it is a permanent structure that was not made with hands, that it is eternal. This is the same language that was used in Mark chapter 14, verse 58, where the chief priests and the council quote Jesus as saying, we heard him say, I will destroy this temple, sanctuary, which is made with hands. And in three days, I will build another without hands. Or in Hebrews 9.11, where it says, but that appointed time came when Christ the Messiah appeared as a high priest of the better things that are to come. And then through the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with human hands, that is a part of this material creation. And that's what he's referring to. This building that God is building is not part of this creation. It is a building formed by God. It's not part of the material creation. It is an eternal, indestructible, and suitable for the glory of God. Paul's talking, of course, about the resurrection body. Now, how many of you remember, uh, some of you are not old enough, but how many of you remember the sitcom, The Jeffersons? Well, we're moving on up. That's what Paul's saying, basically. We're moving on up. Look at uh, verses 2 and 3. Verse 2 and 3. Here indeed, in this present abode, body, we sigh and groan inwardly because we yearn to be clothed over. We yearn to, be, to put on our celestial body like a garment to be fitted out with our heavenly dwelling so that by putting it on, we may not be found naked without a body. Now, you remember the if we referenced in verse 1. This is where Paul says, if the tent is, if the tent is destroyed. And that is because there's another way to move out of the tent, and that is the rapture. That's the only other way you move out of the tent. Now, Paul's preference would be to move from the tent to the permanent building rather than to be without a body when the tent collapses. Well, amen to that. 
That'd be my preference as well. How about you? Now, we studied this in Thessalonians chapter 4, where Paul describes the sequence of events when the rapture, when Christ returns, the rapture takes place, and we receive our resurrection bodies. But until then, we are with the Lord without a body. Okay? And Paul writes that he prefers to be clothed, but clothed or not, he's excited about the prospect about, of being home with the Lord. Paul says these hardships are light and momentary. They're easily endured with the hope of what's before us. The death of the body is really no threat at all. Look at verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, we groan under the burden and sigh deeply, weighed down, depressed, oppressed. Not that we want to put off the body, the clothing of the spirit, but rather that we would be further clothed. So that what is mortal, our dying body, may be swallowed up by life after the resurrection. Now, Paul is clearly just about Jesus. That's Paul. You know, when, when I was a kid, when we went on vacation, we didn't catch a flight out to some exotic place, right? We loaded up the car, and I mean loaded up the car. And we traveled around in that car and stayed overnight, usually with friends, friends of my parents, and relatives. So my remembrance of this traveling was uh, sleeping on the floor from time to time, being crammed into tight spaces with luggage in my ribs, and then the ever-present annoying little brother that was shoved up next to me. I couldn't wait till we stopped. At times, I was car sick and tired, ready to get out, and with a bladder that was ready to give way. But, you know, it was the only way I would be with my family. It's the only way I would experience what my family was experiencing. It's the only way I could be with the ones I loved. I groaned. I complained. But even then, I saw the purpose of it. And though I would rarely admit it, I was glad to be there. Now, that, in a very limited way, is what Paul is saying about the body. This, this is Paul describing. He, he, he was going about in service and in ministry, but this vehicle, his body, fought him the whole way. It was worn out. It was damaged. But it was his vehicle to share the life and ministry of Christ. And for that, he would hold on to it. For that purpose, as long as God would allow, he would hold on to it. However, after he laid the body down, Paul would prefer that seamless transition of mortal clothing to eternal resurrection body. He didn't get it, but that's what he wanted. Also, I want to point out that uh, living the Christian life is about allowing the mortal to be swallowed up with life, as it says in verse 4, to allow his life to eclipse my humanity as I yield to the outworking of his spirit. That's what this life is about where the fruits of the Spirit are being manifested to the glory of God, where his ministry and healing through this mortal frame is coming forward, where the Word becomes flesh, and the beauty and glory of this life becomes to live for him and through him. The mortal is swallowed up in glory by life. Look at verse 5. It says, Now he who has fashioned us, preparing and making us fit, For this very thing is God, it is God who's fitting us, who also has given us the Holy Spirit as a guarantee of the fulfillment of his promise. He fashioned us, no that's in past tense. If you're a child of God, it is God who fashioned you. Can you 
get your head around that? It is God who is forming you. You are not what your mistakes have made you. You are not what your failures have made you, what others and circumstances have made you. You are formed by the hand of God. Within you, vitally connected with you, conforming you through your union is the Spirit of God. That is what is making you, you. As a child of God, that conforming. Now, kind of think of it this way. It's like two pieces of the whole, and without both components, it isn't whole. You are literally being, you have literally been pressed together with the Spirit of God. And in being pressed with Him, it's almost like you're being pressed into a, into a fixed mold. And none of the two molds are alike. And you're being shaped, and you're being formed. And you're being put together, not by whim, not by fate. And as I said, not by the mistakes or even the successes of your life, but by the Spirit of God. And only God can do this. In fact, the word God there is talking about the triune God. He's not talking about just Father God. This is the Trinity itself bending over and putting a concerted effort into forming something unique out of every Christian life. And only God can take all of these random elements of living from the surroundings that are around us, nature and nurture, the ups and downs, the falls, the cuts, the bruises, the mistakes, the rebellion, the disobedience, the failure, the sin, all of the inadequacies, all of the things that come at us and literally use it to shape and mold us into his image, into what he desires you and you and you and you to be in him. Only God could do that. First Corinthians 6.17 says, But the person who is united to the Lord becomes one spirit. You're in spiritual union with God. That God is making us fit for him. He's at work in us. God has given us life through his spirit. And that life is but a deposit of the fullness of the life that is to come. The Greek word there describes an engagement ring. A pledge, a pledge of a greater consummation to come. It's like a down payment, which is a pledge against a debt. God has secured for himself us, and his guarantee of that debt is him. It is him. You thought it was maybe your determination to live, right? No. Let me tell you. What's going to bring us into the fullness of what God created us for is not our determination, but his determination. He's going to do it. Philippians 1.6 And I am convinced and sure of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will continue until the day of Jesus Christ, right up to the time of his return, developing that good work. You know that's what he's doing right now? He's developing and perfecting and bringing it to full completion. I always thought I had to do that. He brings it to full completion. You know, I've watched the potters work with a critical eye and have robbed my life and the lives of others of the rest and peace of trusting God with the shaping of my life. How about you? Done it over and over again. The problems occur when I view my body and my surroundings as life. 
It is then that I am certain that he's got it wrong. But I am not being shaped for this life. I'm being shaped for him. Verse 6. So then, we are always full of good and hopeful and confident courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are abroad from the home with the Lord that has promised us. Now, Paul writes this because of the way we have learned to view life and because of the truth that is within us. He's saying we are always, that's not circumstantial, is it? It's not based on the challenge that's before him. He says, we are always full of good, hopeful, and confident courage. Does that mean that his emotions are on board with that all the time? No. Does that mean that every thought is confident and courageous? No. Does that mean that the enemy doesn't invite fear, try to incite fear in him? No. What he says is we are always full. The mind, will, and emotion is a receptacle made by God to experience life. Before we become Christians, life for us is with a little L, and all of this out here constitutes life. But when we become a Christian, he completely changes that dynamic. And then, at that point, life for us is with a big L and comes from his being, from his spirit. And he says, be not drunk with wine, be filled with with the Spirit of God. For in the Spirit of God, there is balance. In the Spirit of God, there is courage. In the Spirit of God, there is hope. And you can be filled with it. And you can live out of it. Always full of good hope. Always is our condition based on the outlook of eternity for us. We're not living in fear, seeking to protect the life of this body. We're not living in self-protection, trying to hold on to an identity in this body. We have no fear of losing the body, so we are courageous in the ministry of the gospel. That's what he's saying. Because while we are at home living in, or staying in, or residing in the body, we're actually traveling away from our home with the Lord. Paul is not talking about communion there. He's not talking about fellowship with the Father. He's not even talking about being in the presence of the Father. He's talking about where he lives. That's what he's talking about, where he lives. And basically what he's saying, I have communion with the Lord. I'm I'm in fellowship with the Lord. The Lord is my life. I just want to live closer. That's the logic of it. Look at verse 7. For we walk by faith. We regulate our lives and conduct ourselves by our conviction or belief respecting man's relationship to God and divine things with trust and holy fervor. Thus, we walk, not by sight or appearance. Now, I've read this verse to you guys many, many times because Christians are always wanting to know how do we live? How do we live? Well, here's your answer. To walk means to live. It means every moment of every day is to be lived by faith. This is how we make the unseen and the eternal our priority. This is how we view our bodies as temporary as a temporary shelter. This is how we are filled with the confidence for fearless ministry. This is how we shake off the chains of bitterness, offense, and inadequacy and go forward with confidence. 
This is how we live. Faith is a way of life, not a means to an end. It's not a topical application. It allows us to walk in the truth. It is how we walk and live in the reality of his love and acceptance. It allows us to resist being conformed to this world, and it will transform the way we think. That's faith. We should not walk by sight. Or appearance. To do that, I have to make myself God and hope in my ability to see and know. I have to worry with the appearance of things and how others see me. No, to walk or live by faith is no sacrifice. It is the gift of God. And hear me, it is the liberty of being a Christian. That's what faith is. Thank you for joining us for His Life Revealed with Pastor Todd Granger. This program is the radio ministry of His Life Fellowship in San Antonio, Texas. If you'd like to know more about us, visit us on the web at hislifeministries.org or on Facebook at His Life Fellowship. We would love to have you join us for worship. We meet on Saturdays at 5 p.m. at 1307 Blanco Woods at the corner of Blanco Road and Blanco Woods just inside Loop 1604. Also, if you would like to help support this ministry, you can send your tax-deductible donation to His Life Ministries, P.O. Box 1894, Bernie, Texas, 78006.